And, uh, but I want to say a few things uh, about just this topic as we go after this idea of Father's Day and being what God has called us to do. I read some data by Lifeway Research this week that said this. It said if a child or a teenager uh, connects with a church or begins to follow God and brings its family to church, so maybe through a children's church or a youth camp experience, uh, if they're the ones who are the catalyst and go back into their homes and say, hey, we got to go to church, we got to start following God, there's a 3.5% chance that that family gets converted and begins to follow God for the rest of their life. If a mom or the woman of the home says, hey, we got to start going to church, we got to connect, uh, we got to start uh, following the ways of God. If a mom is the one who's trying to lead the home, there's a 17% chance that the family uh, begins to follow God and, and lives a life for the Lord. But if the dad, if the dad says, just like Joshua did in scripture, says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to follow God. We're going to make him priority all the days of our life. If the dad does it, there's a 93% success rate. Come on, dads, yeah. Why? It's not because the dad is greater than the mom or, or more superior than the woman. I believe that God designed the man to lead his family spiritually. Now, the mom can, and the mom does, and the mom works with the dad, and so I'm not downplaying any of those other things. I'm not saying, well, we should stop children's ministry and youth ministry because the percent is only three. No, we do all of those kinds of things. But God positioned us and gave us the honor and the opportunity and the privilege as men to be people who can lead our families in the ways of God. And that's why Joshua said, look, uh, of, of all the things going on in life, I'm going to make one statement right now, and that's for, as, this, as, as for me and my house, we follow God. That's what we do. And I'm going to, you're with me. And that should be stamped on our heart and in the back of our mind at all times of, hey, every time I'm about to make a decision in life, every time I'm about to do something or get called into something, I'm going to ring that bell in my mind of, does it line up with, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord? Right. Are you with me? Yeah. And so it's important for us to, uh, to just keep that in mind that you pull such great weight in your homes, dad. And that's not a burden. That's, a, that's an honor. That's a blessing that we have to be able to be that kind of leader. Amen. If you're a visitor today, uh, I've kind of been warning dads that uh, on this Father's Day, we're going to have a strong talk. We're going to have a real talk. And I'm not, the, I'm not the beat your brow kind of pastor. Today might be a little bit more intense. And uh, if I offend anybody this morning, I decided that I've put together a day. If I do hurt your feelings and I do offend you, dads, I actually put together a day where, where we can meet and we can talk about it. I've cleared my entire schedule to meet with you about your offenses. So any of you, if you get offended, I would love to meet with you. I've cleared June 31st, the entire day. I'll be with, with you to handle that. And so looking forward to that. But I thought about guys, before we jump into the bumper, I begin to notice something about guys, especially I'm 36, as you get older and you get more experience. Men have the desire and the tendency to want to be involved. We want to fix things. We want to make things better. Uh, it's just in us. It's who we are. A couple weeks ago, my neighbor, I don't think he's in this service, but uh, one, of, one of my neighbors who was helping us here, but uh, they were working on a Jeep. So I come home and I see the dudes out there working on a Jeep and any man's like, wonder what they're doing over there. Well, it looks like they're working on a Jeep, you know? And, and, it, and then I noticed they started to have some trouble. So me as a man, I come over there and what do men say to each other? Have you tried this? Have you, have you tried that? What about this? We should try that. Stick a screwdriver in there and see if we, and we got all these tricks. Well, my dad used to do this. We do. And uh, there's all these crazy, go on YouTube. The YouTube answer to everything is 
put some brake cleaner on it, light it on fire, see what it does. <laughs> that might work. And I'm here as a witness to tell you that actually does fix a few things. But anyway, we love to try to do, we love to just, it doesn't offend me when someone comes over to me to help me and says, hey, what about this? Have you tried this? Have you thought about this? Oh, no, no, that's helpful. Thank, thank you. And that's what I want this morning to be. I want, as the pastor, I want, I want to be able to say to the guys in here as we look at scripture and stuff, I want to be able to just say to each other, have you, try, have you tried this with your kids? What about this with your kids? Maybe this will fix it. I'm not trying to offend or be in your business. I'm just trying to say together as dudes, let's fix this, right? We're not going to stick a screwdriver in a kid, but let's, let's figure out some stuff, right? And so that's kind of my heart behind it all this morning is like, I believe that we, we as men, we can rally together and, and be in our proper placement in our homes, and, and we can lead them out of this generation that's broken and abandoned and forgotten. Are you with me? We can make this thing work because God has positioned us and called us to. And if greater is he that is in me as a dad, it's greater than he that's in the world, right? We can do this. Amen? Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll check out this video. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for the word that you want to share this morning. Lord, I ask that you help me communicate clearly. And with a way that brings you glory, Holy Spirit, I ask that you lead every single thing that I say. In Jesus' name, amen. Check this out. Just an old half-ton, short bit Ford. My uncle bought new in 64. Daddy got it right, cause the engine was smoking couple of burnt valves and he had it going he'd let me drive her and we'd haul off a load down a dirt strip where we'd dump trash off a thick tin road i'd sit up in the seat and stretch my feet out to the pedals smiling like a hero that just received his medal it was just an old hand-me-down ford with three speed on the column and a dent in the door a young boy two hands on the wheel I can't replace the way it made me feel And I would press that clutch and I'd keep it right He'd say, a little sore son, you're doing just fine Just a dirt road with trash on each side But I was Mario Andre when Daddy let me drive I'm grown up now, three daughters of my own. I let them drive my old Jeep across the pasture at our home. Maybe one day they'll reach back in their file and pull out that old memory and think of me and smile and say, It's just an old worn out Jeep, rusty old floorboards, hot on my feet. A young girl, two hands on the wheel, I can't replace the way it made me turn it left and steer it right straighten up girl now you're doing just fine just a little valley by the river where we ride but i was high on a mountain when daddy let me Come on. My favorite part of that, that prophet, the prophet Alan Jackson wrote these beautiful words. 
my favorite part of the song is when it says, you can't replace the way it made me feel. When daddy said, steer left, turn it right. What are we talking about? We're talking about not driving go-karts and four-wheelers. We're talking about a dad who comes in alongside a child and says, let me teach you how to drive in life. Let me teach you how to drive in the things of God. Saying, you're going to look back on your life and say, nothing can replace the way that it made me feel when dad or mom or whoever, because mom's this sermon is for you too. You can take the dad part out and put, because we're in this together. Amen. It's just Father's Day, so we're going to say dad today, but mom's is for you too. But when you come alongside him and you say, nothing can replace the feeling of my parents came alongside me and said, you can steer it left, you can steer it right. And take the time and pay the attention to them of like, you, you're worth it. You're, are you with me? Yeah. Uh, somebody in our church this morning, their father passed away. Uh, one of the elders of our, not an actual official elder, but an elderly person in the church passed away. And I'm telling you, she's sitting there in her last moments with his earthly body right now, not, not holding his hand saying, oh, I really wish you would have drove this car or I really wish we would have bought that house. She's sitting there and remembering the ways that he made her feel. Feel like he'd never leave. Feel like he'd never forsake her. Feel like he loves her. Are you with me? You're not going to look back on your life and your kids aren't going to go, boy, I really wish they would have bought that car. Man, I really wish we would have taken that vacation. You're going to say, man, I really valued the way they taught me to drive, to steer through life. Even the times we put it in the ditch, they were still there. Are you with me? Just so you know, for the record, you say, well, where were the kids' helmet? They were wearing their helmet of salvation. And uh, we sped up the video. They never left first gear, I promise you. They never left first gear. So all safety there. But the older I get, the more I know this. The single most important thing I do in my life is teach my kids to drive. So it's the single most important. You say, I don't know, you're, you're, you're building a church. Isn't that important? It does not compare to the responsibility and the honor of being able to raise my kids. Well, what about your preaching career? And don't you want to see yourself grow into things as a minister? None of it matters compared to the opportunity and the privilege of raising my kids. You can build careers. You can make money. You can do all this. Kind of, but none of it compares to the amazing opportunity of raising your kids, teaching them to drive. Are you with me? You say, well, I work hard so that I can provide. I'm not talking about providing for your kids. Obviously, that's important. But what I'm talking about is nurturing and loving and teaching your next generation, your kids to drive, to steer it left and turn it right. They're going to look back on life and say, that's my fondest memories of when my parents, again, put their arm around me and came alongside me and said, you can do this. Are you with me? So we're going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about how the greatest thing you can do in your life is not build your career and build up the bank account, but it's to raise a generation. It's to teach your kids to drive. I thought about this. They're called our offspring. We, they literally, off of us, we're called to make our kids spring. They're our offspring. I know that's not scientifically the definition, but I'm trying to get you to get the picture. Is We're called to literally, our kids from us, we, we offspring them into life. We offspring them into the kids, into the things of God. It's not, we aren't called to tolerate our kids. It's not, oh, we just got to make it to 18 and they're going to be out of the house. We don't walk around our house and go, four more years, guys. No, it's, it's our amazing privilege and, and, and honor to be able to spring our kids from, from us and what we stand on in the things of God. Really, your life is this. God gave me this analogy that really your life, we are like the diving board for our kids. 
they, we spring them. They, they, they bow, they, they leave a little, and then they come back to us. And then we, we support them, and then they go a little bit higher. And then they come back to us, and we support them. Are you not understand what I'm saying today? It's our tremendous opportunity and honor to be able to give the, our generation, our kids, this springing platform into the things of God. We don't just run out the clock. We just don't tolerate them until they move on. No, we have an amazing opportunity to spring them into what God has for them. Yeah. I believe this, that our involvement, our, our, our attention involvement is so important. It's how God designed us to be connected and engaged. It's not anybody else's responsibility. One of the stupidest things I ever hear is when men try to say to me, oh, you know, the kids are at an age where they really need their mom. I mean, I... Outside of breastfeeding, that's probably the only reason. <laughs> but I hate that. They say, well, you know, they're four, they're five, they really... No, Dad, they need you every day, all the time. Yeah. They're, they're always our great opportunity and honor and opportunity for us to teach them to drive and grow and be what God has called them to be. But we got to be present. we got to be engaged. I thought about this. To be in your children's memories tomorrow, you have to be in their lives today. If we're going to take like that Alan Jackson song, or if we're going to think about the end of our lives, for our kids to be able to look back on the way it made us feel, you got to be engaged in their life. We have to make the memories. You can't say, oh, after I get this promotion, or after work settles down, or after I do this thing. No, the scripture says tomorrow is promised to no man, meaning you can't just put it off for another day. To be in your children's memories tomorrow, you have to be in their lives today. There's nothing more important than being in your kids' lives. Amen. I brought five points with me today, and I promise I'm not going to be all rough. This is for all of us. I grew as I read this, and I'm going to confess all my faults through this whole sermon too. But we're all, the scripture says, we all sinned and fallen short of the glory. We all mess it up. To be honest with you, uh, Levi, hope he put that video together. Uh, give it up for Levi real quick. I don't know if he's in here. But if you... <laughs> If you got the raw footage of that video, you would see as a parent, I'm not, I'm not perfect either. Uh, you'd hear clips in that Charlie about ran the four-wheeler into the golf cart. And uh, one of the video clips, I literally ended my GoPro, me just going, jeez, because I thought my golf cart was going to get wrecked in the four-wheeler and then my son. I, and, uh, but I'm telling you, so I don't want any heavy conviction or shame to come on you in this room. I want a godly conviction. If there's an area we need to do better, let God's godly conviction, righteous conviction work in our lives so that we can be better. But five points for us, and then we'll jump out of here. But point number one is this. We have to have self-discipline. Point number one is we have to have self-discipline, and you could add on for the next generation. The reason we have to have self-discipline is because it helps us in the next generation in leading the next generation. First Kings, 2, uh, 30, 1 Kings 20, 39 tells us this really cool story that I think, I think applies to how we parent as dads. Verse 39 says this, as the king passed by, the prophet called out to him, your servant went into the thick of the battle and someone came to me with a captive and said, guard this man. If he is missing, it will be your life for his life or you must repay a talent of silver. Will your servant or while your servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. So the person who was in captive disappeared. And then he says back, that is your sentence, the king of Israel said, you have decided for yourself. You've decided it for yourself. So there's this battle going on. This person is brought and the order given to this guy is, look, what you need to do 
is keep that man self-disciplined. This person needs to be kept. Now, the thing about the battlefield is at this time, there would have been trumpets blown to signal things in the battle. There would have been shofars blown to mean a different thing. Uh, there would have been clashing metal of the armor and all that stuff happening. Uh, there would have been horses by the hundreds, and so they make loud noise as they run. There would have been the yelling of hand-to-hand -hand combat. So there's a lot of distraction happening around guarding this man. And so when they come back to him and they say, were you overrun by the enemy? How did you lose this man? How did he get from you? Were you overrun by the enemy? Or did some sickness fall on you? Was there something that gave you uh, the inability to be able to keep this man? What happened? And he said, no, actually what happened was I got busy here and there and I didn't keep the man. What I'm trying to say to you today is a lot of times when we don't keep ourselves, when we don't have self-discipline as the dad, as the man, as the person we're supposed to be, when we don't set the boundary around us to keep us the way we need to be, what happens is we get busy here and there and we do a little of this and a little of that and then all of a sudden we've lost the man. We've watched those things on the internet. We've talked to people those ways. We've engaged in these kind of relationships. And then we've lost the self-discipline and we haven't kept the man. Therefore, we've surrendered. Are you with me? Yeah. And I'm saying for us to be the man we need to be in the household, we need to rise up and be somebody who has a boundary and a self-discipline. Are you with me? Yeah. I thought about this. Just the other things of action stole his attention. The battle and all these kinds of things. And we do the same thing. All these other things of action steal our attention from self-discipline and caring and being the person that we need to be. We need to make sure we set that strong boundary. Number two is this. We need to teach and tell. We need to be a, a dad or a man who can teach and tell the next generation, teach and tell our kids the things of God. There's this verse, Psalm 78. I'm going to read it here. But I give this example all the time, and it's this. Uh, generations are called to work together. One of the things that's a huge disservice in the kingdom of God or in the body of Christ is when a generation, God will move on a generation and, and he'll pour himself out and, and there'll maybe even be a revival placed in that generation and they'll take it to about here. And then the next generation comes along and we're called to work together. Remember the scripture said, young men and old men will dream dreams and young men. And so it gives us this picture of working together. So this generation brings it here and then what happens is, this generation doesn't love what they're doing and they don't love what they're doing. And so they start arguing and they can't find a way to work together. And so they say, fine, we're not going to work together. We'll do it our own way. You do it your old way. And they'll disservice all of the incredible harvest that that generation before them has done. And they say, fine, we'll do it our own. And so then they only bring it to here. But really what we're called to do is stand on each other's shoulder and reach higher and higher. It's a huge disservice when all we do is keep segregated from generations. Are you with me? See, we're not called to just build a fire. We're called to build a generations of fires that work together over human history where we link all these generations together. Are you with me? Amen. One of the things that blessed me the most is when elders, somebody above me of, a, of a, a generation happened again this morning. A gentleman this morning came in and said, look, do you mind if I pray for you? I laid hands on me, prayed for me, built me up before I preached the sermon. Didn't come in as an older generation. I was like, can't wait to see what this young snot's going to try to preach. No, came in and said, let's stand together in this. Are you with me? It's amazing. That's what we're called to do is work together, stand on each other's shoulders. And that's what this whole scripture here uh, actually teaches us. It's saying, like, here's the model for how we get this thing to last for generations. Not just one fire, but for many fires. You know, one of the saddest scriptures in all of the Bible 
Many of you are thinking your children's ministry days where you go, I know the saddest scripture. Jesus wept. That's the saddest one. That's not the saddest one. In my opinion, the saddest scripture in all of the Bible, or, you know, you guys are going to split hairs on this, but the scripture says Joshua, who's leading his people into the promised land. If you go through your scripture and you start reading all of the amazing things that Joshua actually witnessed with his own eyes, because you got to remember, Joshua was around for a bunch of Moses' incredible miracles. So Joshua witnesses all these things, but then a whole chapter later, you then hear about all the things Joshua saw, all the things he encountered. You see, you read a chapter later, it said, a generation later, nobody followed God anymore. All of those things that he saw and witnessed. And so you may walk through a church door and say, well, we grew up and my parents did this and granny did that and grandpa did this and we did this. and that. But if you don't keep the fire connected to what the generation did before you and you don't find a way to pass it on to the other one it's one of the greatest tragedies that could be said about you is that the generation underneath you followed the lord no more we got to connect it and psalm 78 gives us this picture of how we connect these things it says this as we're a people who teach and tell psalm 78 says my people hear my teaching listen to the words of my mouth i will open my mouth with parables I will utter hidden things from of old, things that were heard and known, things that our ancestors told us. So we're talking about your responsibility as a dad, your telling of the goodness of God. We will not hide from their descendants. We will tell the next generation, generational mindset of thinking. Like we don't, as a, we don't say, hey, one day I'm going to hand my tools down to the kids and they're going to get a really nice craftsman. No, our heart is I'm going to hand down the things of God and make sure those descendants get it. Are you with me? When I hide from their descendants, I will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his powers, wonders, and all that he has done. First of all, for us to tell the next generation about God's powers and wonders and all the things that he's done means they need to be happening in our life, which means we probably need to do more than just go to church and then go home. We probably need to be desiring God to be active in our everyday life. Amen. And then it says this, it says, he decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded to our ancestors to, again, teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, such a generational mindset, that they would turn and tell their children. So it's like, look, we got to do this thing in a way that we're looking at all the generations. In America, we just make sure we hand down the binky and the broken baby doll. Jess has a baby doll, has a broken arm. Its hair looks like it has fleas. She's like, we got to give that to, if you gave that to our daughter, she would cry. <laughs> but our heart is, we got to make sure we hand down the thing. I'm bringing that baby someday. You're going to see I'm not exaggerating. I'll bring it to Halloween. We'll preach on fear and we'll just put it here. <laughs> so the children yet to be born, they need to understand. And then it says this, so that, so what? So why are we telling them? So then they would put their trust in God and they would not forget his deeds, but they would keep his commands. Then it says this, they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. If we tell them and we teach them and we lead them and we show them how to drive, it'll last for generations. If we don't tell them and we don't teach them and we don't show them how to drive, stubborn and rebellious against God. We have to do it. It's not children's ministry's job to tell and teach and lead your generation. It's our job, dads. It's our job to say, this is how God's been good to me. This is how he's going to be good to you. And this is how he's going to be good to your kids. How do you know that? Because look how he's done it for generations. Are you with me? 
But instead, we get busy, and we get on our phones, and we do our things, and we get distracted. And No, God's assignment for us is to tell generations and generations to come. Amen. We are either a great example or a horrible warning for this next generation. The way you're raising your kids right now, you're either an incredible example or you're a horrible warning of what not to be. So many, and I know that's harsh. I told you I was going to be mean today. It's a, it's a tune-up. All of us have that area in our life where, you know what, I'm being a bad example. I'm going to need to change this. But I have so many people that I've met with in my life. They've either, they've either stood and, and, and gotten to places in their life that are so blessed and favored because they said, what I've done is, is my parents have set an example, my grandparents have set an example, and they've walked into the example and, and the blessing that God has had for them. Or I've sat with people in counseling meetings that said, I've messed up my life because I just worked so hard to not be my dad. And I made so many bad choices because I was trying to just not be like my parents. And they rebelled and they ran. How many of you know of people or can relate to the idea of this is the picture, this is the shaping we're putting in front of our kids, either an incredible example or a horrible warning? Let's get on the incredible example side of things. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's the model of parenting. The best thing your kids could ever say about you, and I know this is a big thought for them to really grab hold of. But what if your kids could say about you, oh, yeah, I follow my dad because I know he follows Christ. Oh, I made this decision because I saw my dad make this decision because I know dad got this decision made because he follows Christ. And we just follow in this example of follow me as I follow Christ. I know that dad's going to make a good decision. Why? Because dad follows Christ. And every time you follow Christ, it's a good decision. I hope that's the way we react. Amen. I thought about this, whatever you would have your children become, strive to display it in your own lives and conversations. Many times, uh, and we all know that we want to be, um, but your conversations, even in the way that you talk, we got to display it. We got to show it. Can't come to church and say, kids, we go to church. We serve God. And then when you get in the car, you're gossiping and you're complaining and you're talking. Tra- Are you with me? Yeah. Oh, we went to church. But then when you're at home making lunch after church, they hear you talking trash. They hear you talking like the world. They hear you, Are you with me? Yeah. We got to model this thing in all that we do. Right. I thought about this. Don't be concerned that your children never listen to you. <laughs> be concerned that they're always watching you. Yeah. I mean, we need to know that a generation that has learned, like we're, we're raising our generation by what they watch, by what they see. We got to be this example. Follow me as I follow Christ. We got to stop just giving speeches. That's why I said it's tell and teach. Teaching is like literally hands on. We're showing you what this is like. We got to stop just giving speeches. I told you. We got to show the next generation and show our kids. Amen. Parenting is not about control, it's about influence. We got to influence them. We got to model it for them. Rules without relationship is rebellion. We've heard that before. You try to lay down all the rules. Without a relationship, without spending time with your kids, you're going to cause rebellion. Dad, you spend no time with your kids, and then they get in trouble, and you come running home from work, and you think you're going to drop the rules on them, and that's going to turn out good? No, you're going to steer them toward rebellion. This week, I got to come home from work and discipline the kids. So come on, guys. Go sit on the bed. We're having a talk. My daughter, she's six. She's the oldest, and she's the smart, smart one. So she asked the most important question right away. 
Dad, is this a good talk or a bad talk? Because <laughs> sometimes I set up things very dramatically. Like if I get him something or we're going somewhere, let's, we need to go have a talk. We're going to the beach. You know, like, it's like we're going to have a talk. Is this a good one or a bad one? And so I'm lecturing them about their behavior. I'm saying, guys, you know better. And did it? was that a good choice? And so I'm starting to get into it as far as like, guys, you know better. And Charlie stops. He said, dad, dad, I know. I already know. And you think, oh, what does that mean? But what it means to me is he knows that I believe in him enough to do it right. He could, he'd like cut me off like, dad. Like, Dad, I know you believe in me because I'm giving him a speech. Bud, you know you can do better. You don't got to. He's like, Dad, I know. I know. So his heart to me was like, Dad, I, I know. Like, I know. I know you believe in me. So what, I, what I'm trying to say is I actually love the fact that my son thinks I redundantly believe in him. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And I mess it up a whole bunch, too. Like, I, you know, you're going to actually I got more stories. But, but I'm just saying we got to have the relationship. Dad, you can't scream home from work and get him if you don't have relationship. You got to spend the time. Amen. There's no such thing as a perfect parent, so just be a real one. Say, oh, how can I lead this next generation? How can I tell them all the things and descendants and kids? I don't have all the answers. That's totally fine. Just go on a journey with them. Be real. Learn as they learn and lead and do your best. Don't, you don't, you're not called to be perfect. You're just called to be real with them. Amen? Kids aren't looking for perfect parents. They're just looking for present ones. Oh, I got to get this right before I try this and do that. No, just get in their lives and be present and be active. Amen. Stop trying to perfect your child, but never stop perfecting your relationship with them. Oh, it's not working. They're not perfect. They're not, don't worry about that part. Just make sure your relationship part is there. Make sure you're loving on them and listening to them and encouraging them and build them up. Amen. Point number three, believe and cover. We need to be a people who believe in and also cover the next generation. We cover, we believe and cover our kids. And uh, there's an amazing example. If you looked at one of the best relationships of, of Paul and Timothy, uh, it's a great uh, model of how you raise somebody up, how you bring somebody into and through the things of God. And so this is the relationship we're seeing. I'm going to show you two scriptures about how awesome this healthy upbringing relationship is. Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.3, he says this. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. Oh, generationally. Uh, with a clear conscience as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. He's writing this to Timothy. He's saying, look, I'm praying for you. I'm, 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 I'm linked to my ancestors and the generation and the power before me. But I also need to let you know as I'm raising you up, I'm praying for you too. You have my prayers. And then what I also love is this, uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, he writes another time and says this, by the way, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. Or one translation says, because you're young. So he's saying, look, I'm believing and I'm covering you. I believe in you and I'm covering you and I'm praying for you. What if your kids went to school? What if your kids went through life knowing this? My parents are praying for me and my parents are believing in me and my parents are saying, don't let anybody... Look down on me. Don't you let anybody tell you you can't do it because you're young. Don't let anybody tell you you're not good enough, you're not able. Are you with me? I got a leader in my life who's praying for me and telling me I'm able. Let's be that, dads. Let's be somebody who's believing and covering. Notice I didn't say praying and criticizing. It said he prayed for them, and then it said he believed in them. I'm saying that we need to be a people who pray and then don't criticize. We go to God, God, I'm 
praying for my kids and make them a warrior and let them change the world. And then you leave your prayer closet and you're yelling down, you idiots! Who left their shoes over here, you stupid? Why are you acting like your dad? It doesn't make any sense, right? And I get it, we all mess up and say the wrong things or whatever, but it doesn't make any sense for us to be praying and believing, but then also criticizing. Scripture says life and death is in the power of your tongue. we got to be careful what we're speaking over our children. Amen. This is staggering when you think of it this way. The way that we talk to our children shapes their inner voice. The way that we talk to our children shapes their inner voice, meaning they're going to go do something. They're thinking or considering about a step in their life, and they bell, a thought, a voice is going to rise up in them about things that have been said over them. That's why we got to get the word of God put in them so that when they go to make a decision, it's actually God's word and voice that rises up. That's a whole nother talk though. Amen. <laughs> but think about this. Here's an example. Dad, dad, hey, can we go play? Hey, dad, can we go jump on the tram? Can we go take a bike ride? No, I'm busy. It's Monday. You know, I'm busy. Tuesday. No, I'm busy. I just got home. I'm busy. I'm busy. So the next time they try to run up to you and ask you to teach them how to drive and in life, and, and they come up to you, hey, I'm going to go see if dad, no. The inner voice is going to say, dad always says he's busy. And we're telling him, I don't have time. Dad's always busy. He doesn't have time for me. If we don't guard what we say and how we react. So the way that we fight that is we say this. They come up, hey, can we, no, not right now. But then you need to give them a, hey, here's the right now. So it's, I mean, I understand life just tells you that there's times where we got to say, hey, not right now. But then you come back to him later and say, hey, I know a minute ago I said not right now, but it's right now. Let's get on that trampoline. I'm ready to break my ankle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you got to tell him that right now because then the next thing is when you keep saying, oh, you're driving me crazy. You're driving me. You're crazy. And then the next time they come to be taught how to drive and they're going to come up to you. Oh, I want to. Oh, never mind. I drive them crazy. Oh, I want to. I want to come. No. They always say I just drive them crazy. I'd rather not. And then who knows what they turn to. We keep saying little things like, oh, you're so lazy. You're so lazy. You're so, oh my gosh, why are you so lazy? Just pick up your clothes. Why are you so lazy? And then the next time they try to go do something in sports or the next time they go try to make an achievement, that inner voice on the inside is going to be like, no, they said I'm too lazy. I'm too lazy. I'm not going to go for it. I'm not going to strive. I'm not going to believe. Why? Because we keep speaking over these things to them. So we got to guard what we say as we believe in them. Always saying, don't be so dumb. Don't, why are you so dumb? That was so dumb. Why are you being so dumb? And next time they go try to take a step, that inner voice, if we've built the wrong one, says, I can't do it. I'm too dumb. Am I talking real today? We have to believe and cover. Think about this. As you grew up, some of the things you were the most confident in are things that you heard your parents praise you the most about. I can do that. I can do that. Why? Because you've heard your parents confidently praise you. Oh, look at my Sally over there. She's so good at, right? And just always praising you up and pray. And then all of a sudden it built up that inner voice of confidence. And then you ran with that thing in your life. I thought about this. If you want to see your children improve, let them overhear you. Say the nice things about them to other people. Jess and I do that because it just builds them up. We will do that in the kitchen. We'll, we'll talk of a kid who's in the other room. So we got an open level, so he's on the couch over here. You know what Charlie did today? He did, blah, blah, blah. It was so good. He's over there like, yeah. And he's also, like, I see his mind, like, all right, I did a good thing. That means I can hit somebody today, and it'll equal out. <laughs> it'll equal right out. 
but we believe people rise or fall to the level of your praise. If you keep talking about your kids down here, oh, Tom, lazy, da, 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 da. Or if you speak about them up here, oh, they can do this and they can do this. People rise and fall to the level of your praise. We got to speak about our kids up here, right? And I'm even saying we got to speak about the next generation. If I read one more article about how useless the millennials are, for real, you guys, let's speak life over this next generation. Are you with me? People rise or fall at the level of your praise. I thought about this. Raise your words, not your voice. It is the rain that grows flowers, not the thunder. It's just that constant life-giving source over your kids that's eventually going to develop the bloom that you want, not the storm, right? Don't just show up and blow up on them, dads. You just be in their life constantly teaching and nurturing. Amen. Many of you say, these kids think I can be in two places at once. The truth is you're actually called to be in three places at once. You're called to be in front of your kids to cheer them on. Behind them to have their back. And next to them so they know they're never walking alone. Think about your child right now. If your kid knew when you send them off in marriage or send them off into the next step of their life, if they knew their whole life they had somebody who was always in front of them to cheer them, always behind them to have their back and always alongside them, never leaving. Don't you think you would have done a really great job? We need to be in three places at one time. This world is trying to pull generations apart, isolate and ostracize. And this is a group and this is a group and this group hates that group and this group hates that group. We need to build a household of parents that come around all sides of our kids and say, we got you. We're going to teach you how to drive and steer and walk in the things of God. Amen. Point number four, these will be quick. Uh, point number four is this, stop making stupid excuses. Too many men, too many of us fathers were making stupid excuses. Uh, we've just accepted the sitcom, uh, my, everybody loves Raymond, he's an idiot. Homer Simpson, he's an idiot. All the dads in life are just these buffoons. Moms need to do everything. And as much as we think that's like comical and it makes for good shows, the problem is the men in this culture have adopted that. I can't do anything because I'm a, and it's funny, ha, ha, ha. No, you're a warrior. You're the leader. Like, you should be on the front line. None of this, like, duff beer sitting on your chair. That's Homer's beer, right? I don't watch it because I'm a Christian. I just Googled it. <laughs> but people say stupid, stupid stuff. Guys, make this excuse. Oh, my wife does that better. Scripture says to the men, don't be the weaker vessel. Meaning you stand up and make a decision. You show up. You be the one out front helping. Are you with me? It's not the wife's job to do everything. Parents say dumb things like this to me. They say, well, my parents didn't show me any better. I don't know any better. My parents didn't show me any better. This is the best I can do because my parents didn't show me any better. Well, good. Then be the person you needed when you were younger. Just be that to your kids and strive to be better. People say, oh, I can't handle them right now. Nothing I do makes a difference. I just, I can't handle the kids. There's nothing I can do. It just doesn't make a difference. Well, listen, kids who need the most love will ask for it in the most unloving ways. That's when they need you the most, dad. When they're driving you the craziest, mom. When they're just, I can't get, we can't even string together two good days, right? That's when they need you the most. It's not the time to react in anger. It's not the time to put them aside when they're driving. That's the time to draw them in. Because they're trying to say to you, I got something going on here that I need you in your role for, parent. Amen. I heard this one too. They'll learn... 
They'll learn. People say that, like, oh, those kids, they'll learn. They'll figure it out. I had to figure it out. And we just say that all the time, which is ridiculous. Imagine if I said that over my baby. We have an 11-month-old little girl. As I said, diaper changing. She'll learn. I eventually had to figure it out. No, we would call that neglect. And it becomes the same thing when your kid becomes a teenager. You know, well, they're a teenager. We all make mistakes. They'll learn. No, that's neglect. Be involved in their life. Teach them, train them, equip them. Are you with me? And people do the same thing. Well, it's the church's job. The church can teach them. The church... No, it's your job. It's your job. We don't pass them off to something else. We do it. Amen. I'll close with this. This is my favorite part, and I hope this makes sense. I don't feel that it made great sense in the first service, but I really hope you catch it. <laughs> Point number five is sow a harvest for the next generation. Be a person who sows a harvest for the next generation. Now, you say, that doesn't make sense. Don't you mean sow a seed? Like sow a seed and then it'll grow in the next generation. No, I believe that we can do things now that then the next generation gets to step right into and harvest. I got a scripture right here that shows it. John chapter 4, verse 38. It says, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. So somebody else came and harvest what somebody else worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of the labor. So we, as dads, as Christian leaders, as people in our community, we can pray things, we can sow things, we can give things, we can speak things into our communities. And the generation can come later and walk straight into the harvest of it. Isn't that amazing? So you sit here and you go, oh, I only have so much time. Maybe you're of the older generation. You're saying, I can't serve like I used to. I can't give like I used to. Can you pray? Can you pray and can you pray and can you move mountains in prayer? And can you build a harvest for the next generation that they get to walk into? They once asked Banning Leapshire, I was listening to an interview. He's a pastor of um, Jesus Culture Church in Sacramento. And he said, uh, they said, you know, all these prophetic words over your life, all these dreams and visions that you have, all these things that you guys are going after and you're praying for, what if none of them come into existence? And he said, well, then what's amazing is the next generation will be able to come and walk into something that was very well resourced, very well prayed for, very well fought for, very well prophesied over. Are you with me? I'm going to go after God for everything, and I'm going to believe everything, and I'm going to believe if God says it and He wants to do it in my life, amazing. But if it doesn't make it in my lifetime, I can't wait for the next generation to walk into the harvest. So we need to be a people who we guard this man, we protect this thing, we, we take care of things in a way. Why? Because it matters even beyond our lifetime. People can walk into a harvest. Let's raise children that won't have to recover from their childhoods. Isn't that a good idea? Let's be a people. The single most important thing that you can do leaving here is raise your kids. Not check your email, not work on the next thing, not work on the next thing. It's be present in your kid's life. Raise a generation. The scripture says that our kids are like arrows in the hands of a warrior, aimed. We have to aim them. Too many of us just survive in American culture. Here's our kid, here's our arrow. You're just, no, we gotta aim them. We gotta strategically position them. I know we've now started a third service, but anyway, we gotta, we gotta make sure they hit their mark. That takes intentionality is what I'm trying to say. So let's pay attention, men. Let's not bury ourselves in sports, in hobbies, in work. And we say, well, I'm a provider. I'm providing, I'm provi you're providing a house, which by the way is made out of wood 
and drywall and some wire. Good for you. You put together some supplies and you provided a home. But should we provide what they really need? Something like the scripture says that moth and rust and won't eat away. Are you with me? And I'm not here to get down on you for providing. Obviously, you should provide. We'll run out of cereal. <laughs> so work hard. All that stuff matters. You know that. You know my heart. But does it matter more than coming in and getting down and taking the time and teaching a generation to drive? Are you with me? I'll say this. I mentioned it a minute ago. And then I'll have you stand and pray. But I believe there is such a thing as a healthy conviction. I think, it, I think it should hurt a little sometimes when we open up the Word of God. And there's times that it builds us up. But then the Scripture says that, that He's also the vine dresser. He could come in and prune some things away that we should, grow, we should grow from. And so it's okay if we hear a sermon like this. We're like, oh, man, that really got me. Now, don't go criticizing each other. That's where it would be bad. That would be guilting. If you start saying, see, I told you, you should do this. See, I told you. And you get, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about a healthy godly, righteous conviction where you say, you know what? I do need to be better in this area. I need to pay attention to this and this and this. Here's what's amazing about God and his system, if you will. God's got a great plan here. It's called repentance. You say, God, I messed up in this. Will you forgive me? I was going this way and it was way not the way I should have been going with my kids. But will you forgive me? I'm asking that you forgive me of this. And it's called repentance. And repentance means to do a 180. Now you're turning the right way. So, all right, God, I messed this up. I got way too distracted over here, here a little, there a little. The stuff that was going on in the battle got me off guard. But you know what? I'm going to repent. I'm going to ask your forgiveness. Now I'm going to go this way. You know what's amazing about forgiveness is it's final. When God forgives you of your sin, it's final. He says, I'll forgive you. You're right. You do your repentance. You're walking. Then guess what? A week later, God doesn't go, remember when you did that thing? No, it's final. So it should be final in your heart. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is this, and in the overflow room to you too, here's what I'm saying is in your heart right now, you say, God, I want to make a change. I feel convicted. I feel like I want to make a change. I want to lead the way I'm called to leave. I want to be the man that you've called me to be. You say, God, forgive me of this. We'll pray the prayer in a minute. We're not going to call anybody out, but in your heart, you say, God, forgive me of this. I'll repent. You turn and forgiveness is final. You're walking in the way that God has called you to walk. Amen. You haven't permanently messed it up. It's not over for you. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, I'm preaching for days. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, the scripture says this, whatever the enemy meant to steal, right? God says that the enemy has to repay seven times. You say, I got a, I got a, I got a teenager. I've been messing this up for 14 years. God will give you those years back. You have a, a, a heartfelt, you have a, a, a convicted, a, a pure motive, and you say, God, will you help me? God can give you those years back. It's actually a command that he'll repay what you've lost. Amen? All right, why don't we stand? Let me pray for you. So we're not going to call anybody out or have anybody raising their hands. Actually, all of us, moms, dads, everybody in the room, I know we all can probably ask God's forgiveness in some way that we've gotten off the path. So while I'm praying for you, just in your heart, use the boldness, even if you want to speak your words out while I'm praying, but just say, if you're in here, you're like, I got to do better. Just say, God, will you forgive me of that? Will you help me? And he will. He comes alongside you. Greater is he that's in you than he's that's in the world. There's nothing that's going to guarantee that you're a failure. There's nothing you can't overcome when God is with you. Amen. Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. I'm thankful for every person in this room. Lord, even including me, my hand is raised. All the ways that we've come up short. 
that we've neglected our responsibilities, that we've chose entertainment or busyness or chaos over being what we're called to be, positioning ourselves rightly for this next generation. God, help us be a people who protect who we're called to be. Lord, I ask that you just, as people pray for forgiveness, Lord, I just ask that you free them of any guilt or shame. Lord, I thank you that you're repaying back what the enemy tried to steal. Lord, I just pray over every relationship, God, that they're gonna be fruitful and multiply and grow between parents and children and all the other connections. In Jesus' name, amen.